This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 22, and the quote of the day is, if you keep doing what you've always done, you'll keep getting what you've always gotten. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Ruffini, and we're coming at you with information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. Yo, 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 what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And today we got a great show. Uh, We have Dave Elich on the show. And Dave is, you probably know Dave from his work with the Mars Volta, but he's also played with Juliet Lewis, Justin Timberlake. Uh, He tours periodically with Miley Cyrus. And he's working on another band right now called Killer Be Killed, K-I-L-L-E-R. B-E-K-I-L-L-E-D. So we talk about that in the interview, and he talks about his move to L.A. and how we started to get onto the scene and and what was really necessary to do to start getting gigs and to get out there. And he just he has a lot of insight, and from his work with uh, with the Mars Volta, I'm sure you've seen that he just has ridiculous chops and feel and and facility. So he talks a little bit about that and how he developed that kind of, uh, that style of playing and, and his practice routines and a bunch of different stuff. So it's a great interview, ton of information. And I know I say this a lot, but thank you so much for all of the reviews and the comments on iTunes. I really do appreciate it. And if you could, and if you haven't already, I should say, uh, please go on there and just leave a quick review. All you have to do is just search for the drummers resource podcast and iTunes, go in there, click on the, stars and leave however many re- stars you would like to leave and then write whatever review you would like. I like honest feedback. So anything you can tell me about the podcast that you would like to to hear or if you know if, if there's some things that you do like or don't like, don't be shy. Please let me know. I want to make this podcast as good as I possibly can for everyone out there listening. So here we go. Without further ado, Mr. Dave Elitch, thank you so much for listening. Check it out. Dave, what's happening, man? Great to have you on the show. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, dude. It'll be fun. Absolutely, absolutely. So, I always, every time I I start interviewing people, I always want to know where they're coming from. Um, you know, where their where their musical inspiration comes from, how they got into drumming and things like that. So, so where did you start, and how did you get the the drumming bug, so to speak? Um, well, I guess um, I guess my dad. You know, my dad's not a musician, but he would always play a lot of records around the house when I was a kid, a lot of, um, a lot of jazz vocalists, you know, uh, Mel Tomé and Frank Sinatra and Billie Holiday and, um, a lot of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so he would take me to, um, a lot of concerts when I was a kid. And, and, uh, so I don't know, when I turned 10, I was just like, I want a drum set. And, And then they got me one for my 10th birthday. And, just never looked back really i don't even really know why i wanted one i just i just wanted one right and it's kind of you know it's funny because most of the time you're like hey i want a drum set and your parents are like well let's start with uh yeah a flute you know they're like let's let's start with something a lot quieter and and less yeah, disruptive was... you know what i mean or like let's get you a practice pad yeah thank god they didn't do that because <laughs> i you know I've, I've been teaching for so long now like I, you know, I've taught people here and there who are like, yeah, you know, my parents made me like play a snare drum for like six years or like a pad for like a year or something. And it's just right. like, Ugh. Well, I, I know that there's so, a lot of guys that I studied with that were like, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, 
hey, for five years, I wasn't allowed to play anything except a snare drum. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, that's <sighs> terrible. That's yeah. horrible. Like, like, you don't want, like, you want to play the drum set, not a snare drum. It's like, you're not going to be playing orchestral shit. Right. Like, for a living. Like, you're playing a drum set. And if you do that, it's like, okay, your hands might, might be great, but, you know, your coordination and everything, especially at a young age, you know, mm-hmm. like, when you're a sponge like that, you want to take full advantage of that. Well, judging by the way that you play, I'm guessing that you have a you have a strong rudimental background, though, right? Um, you know, it's funny. Um, I I never I grew up in a small town, so there wasn't there wasn't uh, any drum corps or anything. Thank God. Right. Um, so I never did any drum corps, and I never really got heavy into the technique stuff until I was about sixteen or seventeen, and that's when I really started focusing on that um right. i don't really you know that's kind of my specialty with, with teaching people now like body mechanics and, and right, right. stuff like that but you know I, I don't think about it in my own playing at all anymore but you know it, it's weird like it's kind of become like well, the thing that i do with people but um yeah i never did drum corps or anything like that i just i just i don't know i just studied with a lot of different people right and i took uh, i took bits and pieces from everybody well, and I, you know, it's hard what we're, you're saying about how you got really got into the technique stuff and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, do you find it hard to get younger kids to really see the value in technique and the value in learning their rudiments? Because, you know, like we're saying years ago, it was like, you have to learn every, all these rudiments before you can play a drum set. And it's like guitar, you can't play guitar unless you start to learn chords, you know? So, but you can play drums without learning your rudiments. So do you find it challenging yeah. to teach kids or to get kids to be, you know, dedicated enough to learn all that? Well, stuff? um, I don't really teach a ton of kids anymore. I mostly teach like college students or professionals, but there's a couple, you know, if someone's like younger, but they're really talented or very focused, I'll teach them. But when I used to teach kids, um, I really didn't focus on technique or rudiments a, a lot of the time because kids just want to sit down and play drums and play along the records, right? You know, and and <clears throat> excuse me, and have fun, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, it's much more important to be able to put on a record, you know, and and just be able to play along to it and, and get your ear training together versus playing, you know, a, a six-stroke roll or a paradiddle or something. Because a lot of times with rudiments, you know, people are like, well, here's a paradiddle. And then right. you learn how to do a paradiddle, and they're like, so what do I do with it? And they're like, I don't know. Right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? A lot of times people just, you know, you learn a few rudiments, then you go, okay, now you just move them around the kit. And a lot, and I feel like a lot of teachers just do rudiments with people just for the sake of doing it. Right. Right. And for me, for me in particular, I do about five. I think if you do about five or six rudiments of the correct one, you can do every other one. Right. You know, if I you agree. get your single strokes, your double strokes, your flams, your flam taps, your paradiddles, paradiddle diddles, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. like that stuff, you should be pretty straight. If you get those comfortable, you can do anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there's, like, stuff that's still really difficult for me. Like, I still am terrible, like a pat of or Right. You know, those I suck at those. But the thing, it's like, <clears throat> I don't know if I would ever use that in a musical setting. Right. 
Right. You know, I, that's just, that's that's another thing is I try to really gear my students and myself when I'm practicing, like to what is going to be applicable in the real world and what you're going to use uh, being a working musician in the real world. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you're working on something, go, why am I doing this? You know, like, how is this going to benefit me? How is this going to make me more employable? Right. Like I spent a, I spent a lot of time when I was younger <clears throat> working on all kinds of bullshit, like up with clave and double strokes with my bass, my double bass drum pedal, and like, uh, you know, playing four different time changers at the same time, and you know, all Afro-Cuban stuff, and you know, to a different person, some of that stuff might, you know, be useful. But I got to a certain point, and I was just like, "Why am I doing this stuff? Like, <laughs> like, what am I doing? Like, I'm never like, you know, the Afro-Cuban stuff is great because it opens you up to, you know, new things musically." Um, especially if you actually listen to the music too. That's another thing. When I was younger, I was working on all the software Cuban stuff, and I wasn't listening to it. Right. And then you and then you move down to L.A. and you're just like, why am I doing this? Like they can call Alex Acuna to, to do this. Well, they're not going to call some white dude from Northern California to play some <laughs> right. some Latin shit. You know what right. I mean? So, and you're like, yeah, I've worked uh, it out of the book once or twice, and they're like, oh, you're hired. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And especially for that stuff, man, you have to live it. You know. So. Right. Um, you know, I just think it's really important to always take a second and go, why am I working on this? Because a lot of people just work on shit for the sake of working on it, and they don't think about why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. There's, <clears throat> you know, there's two things that come to mind. Uh, I, I mentioned this um, in the last interview that I did that, that Roy Burns from Aquarian said, you know, 95% of drummers, 95% of drummers spend 90, or what did he say? Unfortunately, drummers spend most of, 95% of their time working on things that they're going to use 5% of the time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and like you're saying, you know, it's like, well, why don't I work on the stuff that's going to get me hired? Yeah. You know, like, um, you know, Roy's a great player and I think he's a, he was a teacher too, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, uh, he was, he was a really great player back in the day and he knows what he's talking about and he's totally right. And drummers have a, have a tendency to, um, well, we don't, you know, we don't have melody or harmony to experiment with. Mm-hmm. So we only have rhythm. So that leads us to going down the wormhole of like progressive rock stuff and metric modulation and odd time signatures and all this dorky shit. Like just because we really don't have a melody or harmony to experiment with, we only have rhythm. So, <clears throat> and you know, when I was younger, I used to, I was really fascinated by odd time signatures and all that stuff. And I still am to a certain extent, but like <clears throat> at a certain point, you're like, okay, so, you know, playing in 15, 16, you just are playing in 4 4 and you chop a 16th note off. Like, who right. cares? <laughs> you know, I can't And tell nobody you knows times. that you're doing that except you and a couple other drummers. Yeah. And you then, know. you know, if you try and pull that shit off somewhere, like in the wrong context, which usually everything is the wrong context for that kind of stuff, right. you're just going to get fired. I saw like a metal band, like a decently sized metal band play in LA like maybe five years ago. And it was like an outro to a song and the drummer tried to throw in some metric modulation thing and uh that you could tell he was just working on in the shed at times. Right, right. He tried to throw it in in the outro and it was like the whole band just fell apart. Uh it was like really, really gnarly. Um but uh uh what was I gonna say? Um 
uh, oh, like when I was doing a bunch of clinics, <clears throat> you know, I still do a, a lot of clinics all the time. Uh, but, you know, when I was doing clinics, when I was playing with the Mars Volta, you know, um, that band attracts a certain type of person. I'll just put, put it that way. Right. Um, right. So, like, all these people are like, <clears throat> hey, man, like, there's one beat on this one song. Like, what time can signature is that in? Or what is what, you know? And I was just like, I don't know. Like, I could hear... I could hear what the beat was, so I, who cares? Right. The only time I, the only time I sit down and figure something out is if I don't understand what it is, and mm -hmm. that's when you need the tools to be able to do that because you need to come at it from a different perspective to process the information so it makes sense to you. If I can hear what's going on musically and I can just regurgitate it, well, that's the way to do it. But you know, a lot of people end up focusing on. Uh, you know, what things are just for the sake of it instead of why, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, so yeah, I've spent a lot of time on technique and rudiments and all that stuff, but, um, it's easy to get trapped, trapped down that rabbit hole. You know, yeah. I was stuck down there for years and it took me a while to claw my way out, you know? Yeah. It's all that, all those, uh, I remember my professor in college used to call them CGLs, chick getting licks. And he was like, don't, he was <laughs> like, He's like, you don't need to, he's like, stop working on your, on your CGLs and start working, you know, on your music. That's hilarious. You know, it's like, and now I call my, my, I quit licks. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's because you're, by you playing some of the licks, you're like, I'm quitting because I'm getting fired, you know. <laughs> so they're like, my, I quit licks. <laughs> That's funny, man. And so you would mention, you know, having the proper tools to figure out hard tunes especially you know the mars volta stuff is is a lot of it is uh is pretty intricate and difficult sure and so how how did you practice you know when you were coming up and even now how do you practice what do you practice and what do you suggest for more productive practice to really uh you know to further your playing um so i guess the first part of that question would be how i learned the volta tunes i guess Mm -hmm. Um, so, <clears throat> and I've been over this too in, in other, you know, podcasts or, or interviews I've done, but, um, it, basically what I do whenever I have a recording session or a gig or, you know, whatever, when time allows me to, <clears throat> um, I will write a chart out for the tune because, right. uh, I don't have a super amazing memory. So I, uh, I need to be able to see the roadmap, like the form of the tune in front of me. And I don't, I, I really just do meat and potatoes. It's just counting measures. It's right, very, right. very, very, very simple. Like I almost, kind of stuff. Yeah. I almost never write out rhythms or beats or anything. It's right. just like verse four plus four plus four plus four in a chorus. Like it's just counting measures. Right. Um, so what I do with the Volta stuff, cause I had about two and a half weeks to get the set together and, you know, I met the, the band in Amsterdam and we ran through the set twice and that was it, you know, right. two and a half hour set. So didn't have a lot of time. I really just had to show up knowing everything. So what I would do is I would, I wrote out all the charts and I would play along to the tunes with my charts and with my iPod. Mm -hmm. And then I would play along to just my iPod with no charts. And then I would play along to just the charts with no music. And then I would play along to just the click and backing tracks uh, with nothing else. Right. I got um, 
so it was extremely time consuming, but, um, you know, I always get nervous when I go on stage, but there's nothing more comforting when you sit down in front of whatever 80,000 people going, I could not have worked more on this music and I'm prepared and, you know, I'm going to kill this because the more you put into it, the more comfortable you're going to be. And, you know, you know, you know, your stuff. It's, there's nothing more scary than sitting down to play a period and you're just like, uh, like, I, I hope, hope this goes, goes well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, that was a pretty, um, you know, time consuming process, but you know, I'm, I'm glad I, I did it that way. And other people are totally different, you know, like, right. um, I was just listening to an interview with Aaron Sterling. He's playing with John Mayer now, and mm-hmm. he has like almost a photographic memory. So he's like, "Yeah, I just you know, do the yeah. song once, and you know, in the studio, and just play it." Was that... Like, damn it, dude! Like, wish I could do that. Like, shit. I you heard. Know? I heard. Um, I heard the interview on. I guess it was on the on the. Uh, I'd hit that podcast. Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, I just, you know, I play the tune once and I got it. And I'm like, man. Yeah, it's really, yeah, it's really, I was like, man, that must be, must be nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's the process, you know, I, I, I go through the, you know, depending on what the situation is. A lot of times for recording sessions, if I, if I get the tunes ahead of time, I'll show up with, with charts and just slam them down. If, if there's time, like I just did a recording for, this band M83 that I've played with a little bit um, for this movie called Divergent um, that's going to be coming out. And uh, the single is going to come out soon. And, and uh, <clears throat> you know, I showed up to the studio in, uh, a couple weeks ago and did that. And, uh, you know, that was, that was, it was only like two minutes worth of music that I was playing on, but I had to write it out note for note because they were very, specific in, in, in what they wanted and there was some interesting you know unorthodox stuff happening like beats turning around and stuff like that so right. like i like i said if you need to have those tools if you need if you need to you know you need to have those tools available for you uh, if you need them mm-hmm. you know um because me sitting down and hearing that hearing the part the section of that song that i was recording a few times and writing it out perfectly and going in there and playing it perfectly you know, if I couldn't, if I didn't have the skill to write that out and hear it and everything, like, you know, it would just be very time consuming and, and studio time is expensive. So, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I basically write out charts for almost anything that I ever do. Uh, mm-hmm. It helps me out tremendously. Um, and that's, uh, that's when you're learning, you know, if you have to learn material for, for somebody or for a session or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So what what's your approach to just practicing in general for for effective practicing? Um, you know, uh, well, when I when I'm teaching, I have basically three things that I work on with people. Everybody's a case by case basis, and it totally depends on what the person's there for. But you know, my my regular students, I basically have you know three things, you know, technique like some sort of method method book work and your training and i'd much rather have people focus on three maybe four things uh and get them you know very 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 comfortably 
than try and spend a ton of time working on a bunch of stuff and have it come in and, and not be too great. Right. And so uh, that's the way I approach, you know, less is more with, with what I do with my students, even like one or two things. It's going to come in next week or in two weeks and it sounds awesome. That's great. I'd much rather have that than three or four things half-assed. Right. Right. Um, my, myself, <clears throat> I don't really have a ton of time to practice like I used to practice. And one of the things that Jason Gianni, my, my old teacher, told me when I was a kid, and he was like, hey, you know, I was like 16, and he was like, hey, man, you know, you got to put the time in now because, you know, you're going to turn 18 soon, you're going to have to get a job, you know, and life is going to get in the way real quick, so you got to put in the time now. So, you know. Right. And he was, to- he was totally right. So, um, so nowadays, you know, if I, if I have time, I'm more so working on, you know, conceptual ideas. Um, I'm really trying to play as deliberately as possible, like playing exactly what is in my head instead of just resorting to muscle memory and canned licks and preconceived notions. Right. Because so many people do that and it's easy to do that. And, uh, you know, but the problem is, is you take yourself out of context and you take yourself out of the moment and you take yourself out of the musical conversation that's happening. You know, right. I saw some dude playing at, uh, I don't know, we'll just say I saw some dude playing in a show <laughs> a few weeks ago in L.A. Right. And he played the same double bass fill every time for like 45 minutes and I was getting ready to shoot myself in the head. I was like, Oh my God. Like, and I couldn't leave. <laughs> I had to right. be there. So I was just like, Oh my God. I did that kind of stuff drives me nuts. Cause it's just like, really? Like, you know, every time you go to do a fill, your brain shuts off and you just go on autopilot. And, uh, there's an infinite amount of possibilities out there. Like, why are you being so lazy and just repeating yourself over and over and over again? Right, right, right. So, you know, so <clears throat> so that's what I'm trying to work on. Like sitting, I go into my shed. I was doing this last night with a student, um, sitting there and, and singing something like beatboxing a fill, like, and trying to play exactly what you're thinking. And it's a hell of a lot harder than you think it is. Yeah, totally. Because there's a there's a certain level of disconnect between your your brain and your limbs, and you might think that you played what you is in your brain, but a lot of times it's not the same thing. And then you really sit there and suss it out and you're like, Oh, Oh, okay. I've never done that before. You right. know, like that's a weird, I would never have done that. So that's really what I try to do when I'm, when I'm sitting there practicing in addition to like something as simple as like playing everything that I know how to play while keeping my left foot on quarter notes. Cause I just never been good at that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I was growing up, I never did it because I wanted to like, you know, confuse people and, you know, play weird stuff. And, and then I did a clinic at the collective in New York in 2008. And it was the first clinic I'd ever done. And I was just playing. And after I got done, I was like, all right, any questions? And someone's like, yeah, can you do that with your left foot going? Cause no one knows what the hell's going on. I was <laughs> <laughs> just like, no, I, I can't do that. And You're like, like, and please asshole. leave. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Ever since then, I've been really trying to work on it. And, you know, like, you know, Vinny and Gad and Waco, they've always been great at, at doing that, and it, it puts everything in a, in a context. Right, right, right. That makes so, sense. 
Yeah. Cool. I wanted to switch gears a little bit. You had mentioned, you know, you're originally from Northern California and you came mm-hmm. down to L.A. Um, and I always like to hear how how you made the connections while you were in L.A. Um, and, and I think a lot of people always brush over it. They're like, oh, yeah, then then I got this gig or I got this gig, like the Mars Volta gig right. or anything like that. And I, I know that a lot of the listeners always want to figure out how that kind of thing happens and the advice that you have for that. Sure. Um <clears throat> well, I moved down here uh, from Sonoma County when I was 19. Um, there's no music scene in the Bay Area. I mean, the last band that came out of the Bay Area was like Green Day. Right. Or, you know, Metallica or Weezer or something. like. I mean, there's like nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so It was bumping there for a little while, though. Yeah, back in the day, yeah. yeah, but I mean, there's like in San Francisco, there's just like a really cool art scene happening, but I mean, there's really not a whole lot of music going on, probably because it's, you know, uh, prepos- uh, you know it's preposterously expensive there, so, right. um, you know, you, you, if you're an artist, you basically have to live in like Oakland or somewhere like out in the cuts, <clears throat> but um, anyway... So I moved down here when I was 19 and, uh, you know, I was going to Santa Monica college, you know, I was going to get my, AA or I was going to get my AA and then transfer to Northridge or something. And I guess get my, get my bachelor's in music there. I wasn't really sure what I was doing, but <clears throat> I ended up staying at Santa Monica college for like three years and I ended up getting two AAs because, uh, the guidance counselors don't know how to do their job. But that's one thing, man. <laughs> That was the lesson I learned with that is like, <clears throat> just because it's someone's job to do something doesn't mean that you can put all of your faith and trust in them. You just gotta, you gotta always look after yourself. Right, right, right. So anyway, I ended up taking a whole bunch of classes I didn't have to take. And, I, you know, so I, <clears throat> so I got two AAs from Santa Monica College, which unfortunately did not equal a BA. And, uh, and then I got, in this band called Daughters of Morrow, which was on Virgin uh, Records before I could transfer to Northridge. And once that happened, I was like, well, fuck this school stuff. Right. I'm in a major label band. I don't need to go to school. <laughs> Man, I'm going to buy uh, a Ferrari next week. What yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like 20, uh, 23, you know, that was like the first like real, you know, real gig I got. And I was obviously super green. And um, <clears throat> so... I got in that band. Uh, we played a bunch of shows around town. Ended up doing a record um, with uh, Garth Richardson, Gugga Garth, uh, up in Vancouver. He did like the first Rage Against the Machine record and first Mudbane and Fifty nice. Claro and a ton of ton of huge records. Um, so I did that record with him. Uh, EMI got bought out like a month before our record was supposed to come out and just couldn't even get anybody on the phone to drop us. So it just got shelved, which is, you know, how the record industry goes. Um, So that band fell apart because we couldn't do anything. Uh, It's just a total stalemate. So uh, after that happened, I basically, you know, was just looking for a gig for a while. And I was doing a lot of stuff around town, you know, playing all the clubs and, you know, just hoeing around around town. Um, and then 
Yeah, I guess I got the Mars Volta gig in like 2009. And the way that came about is um, Juan and I, the bass player, had met a few times around town at, at different gigs, but I don't think he remembered me. But he was also good. He's also good friends with Garth. So we had a few different mutual friends. <clears throat> and I had this uh, drummer over to my studio. I kept hearing about this dude, and I usually don't name him, but I really don't think it matters now. So a dude named Gene Coy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a really incredible drummer. He's a really good dude. And I kept hearing his name like a bunch, like all over town. And most importantly, I was hearing his name from other musicians, like not drummers. Right. Like guitar players being like, yeah, this dude's bad, man. And, and you hear other musicians, non-drummers, talking about drummers and how they love playing with them. That should be, you know, a light bulb should go on there. Right, you know? right. Um, drummers have a tendency, and it's great that, I mean, I have a really solid community of, like, really good friends, like drummer friends I surround myself with here in L.A., and I think that's, drums are the only instrument that's like that. There's a real sense of community here, and everybody looks out for each other. But you can also get stuck in that, you know? Right, right. So anyway, I kept hearing about Gene, so one day I was just like, you know what, like, and I just I just added him on Facebook, and I was like, hey man, like, I keep hearing about you. You want to just come over to the to the shed and you know play some drums and get some lunch or whatever? And we'd never met before. <clears throat> and he was like, yeah man, great. So came over and we just played some drums and geeked out and went and got some some lunch and had a great time. And and then a couple months later, um, uh, I got a call from from Juan and he was like, Hey man, I got your, your name from Gene Coy. Um, you know, we need a drummer in like three weeks to, to do, you know, some touring. So, you know, are you available? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, so was, like, was he man. not available to do it? I guess. <clears throat> I think he was busy and he's not really a rock dude. He's much more of like a jazz guy. Like he's been playing with Larry Carlton and, you know, Michael Landau and a ton of dudes around town. I got you. So he's not really a, not really a rock dude. <clears throat> um, but I think he played in Big Sur with, like, one of Juan's side projects. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess they called him. He was like, well, I can't do it, or it's not really my thing, but, you know, this guy Dave would be perfect. <clears throat> so if I never would have hit him up, like, to hang out of the right. blue for no reason, like, I never would have gotten that gig. And I always try to stress to people the importance of – of networking and building relationships and not in a, in a, you know, what can I get out of this sort of thing, but just to organically and genuinely develop relationships, you know? And it's, it's stuff like that, that you were like, man, I just want to meet this dude and play drums with him, you know? And it's like, you got a, you got the gig with Mars Volta out of it, which, which is speaks volumes to, you know, what good relationships can do for your career. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I had no ulterior motives when I hit him up initially. I was just like, man, I keep hearing about this dude. And I know probably because of my attitude towards, like, you know, that sort of scenario, I know, you know, pretty much every dude in L.A. Um, and that was like one dude I just didn't really know. And I was like, oh, all right, cool. So let's, let's hang, man, you know. So, right. <clears throat> yeah, it was just totally, totally random. Um so yeah, so Wong came over to my studio, um, and uh, he brought this other bass player named John Hishke, who's a good buddy of mine now. Um, really incredible bass player. Plays with like 
broken bells and the shins and um you know, used to play in Hella, that band was that was uh, back hill and he's a really, really killer bass bass player, a really good dude. But I didn't know him then, so <clears throat> it was pretty hairy because uh he brought Juan brought Hiskey in for like another set of eyes. So Juan came in with a little bass rig and, you know, set up to my right of my kit and then he just sat John in a chair like straight in front of me. So uh he was just like you know this song, do you know this song, do you know this song? And I'd never played the long any of the Sulfur songs in my life. I was just a, a fan of those right. first two records. <clears throat> um, so I was just kind of fumbling through the stuff, and we were in there for about three hours, and uh, so he was like, hey, man, do you know this song, Elvia? Um, and I was like, yeah, I think so. So I pulled it up on my iPod, and and we played along a little bit and he was like, Oh man, like and he started freaking out. He's like, dude, that fucking feels great and he's like, Hold on and he goes out in the hallway and calls Omar and then he comes back in, he's like, All right, man, you wanna do it? And of course my head I was like, Oh uh, like, you know, freaking out. And I was like, Of course, you know, of course right. I'll do it. So they were cool enough because of what the situation was <clears throat> to form the set list around me and what I wanted to do in that like most of the songs that we played were off of the first record, maybe the first two records. And then there was like, because it was the Octahedron album cycle, we had to play like five tunes off of that record, obviously, but right. they really form, form the set list around me. And, um, you know, previously they were playing like three, four songs maybe and playing for two hours, three hours and just jamming. And we were playing for two and a half hours and playing 15 songs. So, um, which is much more what I would want to do musically and what I would want to listen to as an audience member. Right, right, right. Um, so anyway, so yeah, that was that for, for that. Um, so how long were you playing with them? Uh, about a year. A year? So I did, I did, um, <laughs> I did a European, uh, European headlining tour, um, late 2009. And then we did, um, Big day out in Australia, uh, January, February, 2010, opening up for, or I mean, co-headlining with Muse and, you know, Mastodon and Carnival, a bunch of bands were on that tour. So I made a lot of really good friends right, right, right. Um, on that tour. And now I'm in a band with Troy who plays bass for Mastodon. And, you know, I ended up meeting Dominic from Muse on that tour and he's become a really good friend of mine. And, um, so that was a really fun tour. Um, and then they didn't do anything for a while, and then they called me uh, to open up for Rage Against the Machine in, in South America nice. um, in, like, I don't know, October of 2010, something like that. Mm-hmm. And that was the last thing I did with them. And I was supposed to do some solo shows with Omar after that, and then <clears throat> it got canceled, and then when they rebooked it, they were doing it with D'Anthony, um, which is fine, because D'Anthony's... Right unbelievable but they're the band's on hiatus now right uh they broke up just completely done now mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i think they're they're going to be doing some at the more at the drive-in reunion shows but i'm not sure about that i got you so now if uh, if they started playing do you think you would get the call for it or who knows yeah i have no i mean that's not something that i'm even thinking about right right, right. <clears throat> um i have i have no idea 
right. I guess it's possible. I guess it's possible, but you know, right, right, right. I'm not sitting here. I'm not sitting around waiting for the phone to ring. Right. So moving on, you, there's a yeah. there's a big difference between uh, the Mars Volta and Miley Cyrus, who who you've been playing with as well. <laughs> right. Um, let's talk about that gig a little bit. How did that gig come about? Um, you know, I've been really saying, you know, saying what I was saying about, about Gene and other and non-drummers and stuff. I've been really fortunate to get pretty much all of the gigs I've had <laughs> through drummers. You know, when I got the M83 gig, it was, you know, I was just subbing <clears throat> for a low week, but I met him at the, when I was judging the Guitar Center drum off a few years ago. Right. You know, it's like super random. Um, so uh, this Miley and then the Juliet Lewis thing, I was subbing for my buddy Troy, who's a drummer. So like it, a lot of my gigs are from drummers, but um, <clears throat> the Miley thing uh, happened because um, I've been, you know, doing like informal sort of lessons with my buddy Jason Sutter for a long time, like helping him with his double bass and some random stuff here and there. And we're like really, really good pals. So a lot of times we'll just come over and we'll just, you know, hang. And then he's like, Hey man, can you show me this or whatever? Like, so been doing that with him for a while. And so, um, you know, about a year ago or something, he was like, Hey man, you know, my buddy Stacy Jones is going to hit you up. He just wants to, you know, get some cool licks, <laughs> you know, to play right. at the end of songs or something, something like that, you know? Um, so I was like, great, you know, and, and I knew Stacy, but not like really at all, but I knew who he was and we met a couple times. So <clears throat> anyway, he came over and, you know, we did a few lessons and, and we got along really well. And, you know, he, I really like him as a dude. He's a really good, good guy. And, um, and he's a great player. He hits, he's one of the few dudes who hits really hard, but he's got like some grease and his playing the two things don't usually go together right, right, right. um <clears throat> so uh yeah so we got along really well and and then you know a few months ago he he called me and you know and he was like hey man uh because basically what happened was is miley, miley was in between record cycles so um you know and then uh uh he had committed to playing with matchbox 20 in the meantime right so in between record cycles, we can't, the song We Can't Stop came out and then um, Wrecking Ball came out. Mm -hmm. And obviously he called me the day before Wrecking Ball came out. So he's like, yeah, this new song Wrecking Ball and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, I'll check it out, whatever. <laughs> right. And uh, so he had already committed to the Matchbox stuff. So that song obviously blew up like crazy. Um and she was supposed to be in between record cycles taking a break. And then all of a sudden they, all, they had to do all this promo stuff. So he was like, Hey, I'm already committed to this matchbox stuff. I can't bail on that. Right. right so, right. you know, she, <clears throat> she needs a hard hitting rock dude. You know, you'd be perfect for it. Like, can you sub for me for some stuff? And I was like, yeah, sure. No, no oh, problem. Nice. So, yeah. So it ended up being like a lot more stuff than I thought. Like, you know, we did a bunch of stuff in Europe and, uh, you know, some TV stuff. We did Fallon and Allen and mm -hmm. uh, did that Staples Kiss FM Jingle Ball thing. So mm -hmm. it ended up being a lot of stuff. And and then he's getting married um, in March. So I'm going to be doing three weeks with her March in, in March and April um, on the Bangers Tour, which is going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I, mean, I, I thought it was – I was like, yeah, this will be, this will be weird. <laughs> you know, it's like right. – 
if nothing else, and I and I I knew like there was going to be articles and stuff about it. Cause it and like, sure enough, like as soon as I did some TV dates or whatever, like all these metal websites are like, boom, you know, because I the killer be killed stuff, my new metal band, like that stuff all was kind of floating around the internet at the same time because we did that, recorded the record, and then two weeks later I was doing the Miley stuff. So, but that's always what I've wanted to do is be super versatile and play all different kinds of music, and, right? You know, because I like all different kinds of music. Sure. Sure. So, yeah, so I was like, you know, I think this will be hilarious because a lot of people, especially metal fans, aren't like capable of grasping versatility. Right, right. And they're going to be like, you what know? are you doing playing with Miley Cyrus? Yeah, I fucking sell out. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't, whatever. I don't care. You're like, hey, man, I'm playing drums for a living. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. At it's the like end all of the these, day, I don't. You know, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't pay attention to what anybody says. I'm just gonna do my thing, and if people like it, great. If they don't like it, great. I yeah. don't. That doesn't really concern me. But you know, some dude who's an armchair quarterback sitting in a cubicle, you know, wants to talk shit. That's fine. That's you cool. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I, whatever. I uh, the college that I graduated with, um, the one of the the guy that came back to speak. And I'm, I feel like an idiot. I can't think of his name right now. Um, but mm. he was he was on the Bills, and he went to the Super Bowl three years in a row and lost. Oh, Jesus. Um, so so some he was, like, you know, telling his speech, and he said, does, you know, people ask me, do I feel like a failure because I went to the Super Bowl three years in a row and lost? And he said, I just tell him, what were you doing on that Super Bowl Sunday when I was playing in the Super Bowl? <laughs> you know, he's like, you were sitting on your couch watching it so no i don't exactly. i don't feel like a failure you know god that's a bummer yeah three years in a row dude god it was, oh, damn. why can't i think of his name it was, are you a football guy no i don't no. pay attention to sports at all it was uh i mean he's a really famous receiver and i just can't think i feel like an idiot i can't think of his name right now but yeah, anyway but he's good. like he's like that's cool man you want to judge me but i'm at, i'm doing it well that's yeah. the other thing man is football is a you have a whole team to worry about, like, right? That's a completely different, that's a completely scenario. I mean, um, I always trip out about the Olympians, like training for like four years of their life, and then like you know, like you see these sprinters who like tear their ACL or you know oh, hamstring yeah. or something, like you know, it's just like that stuff is so heartbreaking. Yeah. Um. But uh. But yeah, man. I mean. That's just unfortunately the culture that we live in now. I'm hoping that, <clears throat> you know, once people sort of get a handle on the internet, uh, maybe people will start reading books again. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, but I mean, unfortunately, that's just the, the culture, culture or lack thereof. That yeah. We live and I, I, I appreciate that because I read a lot too. So, it's sure. Like, yeah. It's like, well, man, there's nothing that, God. nothing that replaces a good book, you know? No. No, not at all. But, you know, unfortunately, uh, too many people don't. Yeah, I agree. So I got, I need, you know, I want to get a little bit of uh, advice from you for Mm. for the listeners out there. Say there's, you know, people that are thinking of making the move to to L.A. or, you know, even Mm -hmm. maybe not even to L.A., but a major city. Uh, What advice would you give them and and how would you how would you uh, advise them to kind of get their name out there? Well, uh, you know, I was saying earlier about these clinics and master classes I do all over the world and you know depending on where I am <clears throat> geographically, um 
Now, if I'm in like, I don't know, like uh, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> um, that's the first thing I tell people. Is I say you need to move to, you know, a metro, major metropolitan area. You know, like mm-hmm. if you're in Australia, you probably should move to Sydney or Melbourne. You know, like if you're in the UK, you should move to, to London. You know, like if you're in the US, you should move to, you know, LA, New York, or Nashville. Or, you know, like <clears throat> that's just going to make it way easier for you. I mean, you could, you know, you could be a big fish in a small pond, but, you know, there are only so many things available to you. So that's the first right. thing I say is just always relocate if, if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you do that, <clears throat> um, you know, you got to pound the pavement every night. You know, when I moved here, I was going out to, I mean, I was 19, but if I could sneak into bars, I would go to bars, you know, I'd be just playing. I had my own like shitty metal, metal band. I was playing in like right. for the first couple of years I lived here. So that got me like playing around town. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would meet people through that, but you know, going out to bars, going out to weird loft parties downtown, like going to art galleries, like, you know, just going out like every night and like the, you know, more people you meet, the better. Right. Like I had a couple of friends who moved down here from <clears throat> NorCal at the same time I did. who were really incredible players. And, um, after six months or a couple of years, they had to move back up North. And they're like, yeah, I don't really dig it away. It's like not working out. And then, but it's like, dude, all you did was just smoke weed and play Xbox. Right. Like, and you know, nobody's going like, to come banging down the door. Yeah, dude, you know, you gotta, people gotta know who you are in order for them to call you. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that's, you know, the best advice I can give anyone. And don't be a dick. You know, like, there's a lot of people who can, who can play drums, like, you know, to varying degrees, obviously. But, you know, if, if you're an incredible musician, but you're a dickhead, no one's gonna wanna hang out with you. Right. You know, most of them, not most, but a lot of drummers, who are working out there like touring drummers are not good drummers, but right. they're good dudes. Right, right, right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'd much rather I'd much rather tour with someone who's cool and not that great at their instruments, and you know, someone who's incredible but a total weirdo. Right, right. You yeah. know, we were just talking about that. You know, that uh, I forget who I was interviewing, but it's like, you know, they're first of all when you get called for a tour, they're they're calling for they're looking for a roommate pretty much you know mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter how good you are because there's somebody down the street that's just as good as you and is pro- and could be cooler so they'll just go get that guy yeah and who lives yeah. with their mom and can do it for 500 bucks a week <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know so that's the reality of the industry these days but you know it's, it's social social skills are, are imperative man they're very 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 important i agree with that so yeah, so I mean that's you know that's the best advice I can I can give someone is, is to just move to a major metropolitan area and just go out like every night. Right. You know, like <laughs> there's this um, a friend of mine, uh, singer songwriter, and like <laughs> every time we go out like to shows or go to get dinner or something, like I'm always running into people, and she's like, "God damn, like where are you the fucking mayor?" <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> like I'm always running into people and it's uh, it's pretty funny. So You're like, hey man, I, you know I want to meet people. Yeah, well I mean you know that's that's how you do it. You know, yeah. uh, like I said, like how are people going to call you if they don't know you exist? Exactly. Exactly. You know, totally so, agree. Yeah, that's the best advice I could I could give anybody. 
Nice. So what do you got going on now? What uh, what do you want to let some people know about? It? You got anything in the works? Uh, well now, uh, I'm you know getting this music ready for this Miley. Uh, three weeks I'm doing Miley, and then like I said, I have this new metal band. So it's new now, and that it's actually happening. But I've been trying to get this band happening for like three years. Uh, uh, so it's, thank God it's finally happening. I was just talking about it forever, and people were like, "Dude, are you like full of shit?" Or <laughs> they're just like, "It was impossible to get the thing off the ground." But <clears throat> basically, um. Uh, it's me, my buddy Greg Pichado, who's been to the Dillinger Escape Plan, and Max Cavalera uh, from Sepultura and Soulfly, and then Troy Sanders, uh, who plays bass for Mastodon. So, nice. um, yeah, so we did that record uh, What's the name a of the band? months ago. It's called Killer Be Killed. K-I-L-L-E-R Be Killed. We'll play on words. Right, right, right. <laughs> Um, so that record is going to be coming out uh, in a few months on Nuclear Blast. Um, I'm super excited about it. Uh, like I said, it's, uh, everybody really brought their A game, and I think people are really going to dig it, and uh, it's not really going to be what people expect. Nice. Um, so I'm really excited about that. You know, there'll be some touring at some point. I don't know when. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, after I do this Miley thing, that band is going to be my my main focus. But you know, everybody has their own bands, so we're just going to be fitting in tours and stuff in between everybody's schedules, which is why it took so long to get it going. Anyway, right. Um, so, <clears throat> so you know, those are my two main focuses right now at this moment. But um, you know, is there know. anywhere that people can go to find out more information about that band? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a Twitter page and there's a Facebook page, and um, uh, I think that would, I think there's an Instagram too. Um, but <clears throat> it's, uh, yeah, it's just K I L L E R B killed, killer be killed. Um, and, you know, obviously, once the record comes out, there's going to be a lot more available. But uh, right now, <clears throat> we're, uh, you know, we're not going to flood the internet with. There's already so much press on the band just because who's who's in the band. Right. <clears throat> you know, uh, we're just going to wait until the record actually comes out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm nice, pretty I excited about that. I just that. found it right here. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, man, so, there's 11,255 likes on it already. It's good. Yeah, and for the fact that no one's heard any music yet, that's pretty cool. <laughs> right. <clears throat> I'm pretty stoked on that. Yeah, but, you know, like, I am, you know, if it was someone who, like, an artist who is, like, a really good friend of mine or who's someone whose music I really, truly believe in, like, I did some stuff for this um, really incredible singer. Um, from, she's also a songwriter um, from <clears throat> Norway, um, whose name is Suzanne Sunfor, and she's become, like, a really, really good friend of mine over the past couple of years. And I played on a few songs like two songs that are going to be on her next record. And I would hop in a van with her any day. Like, but other than that, <clears throat> I don't want to get in a van. <laughs> yeah, man. So, you know, I, you know, I would not start my own band. Um, unless, uh, you know, it's something like this where we can hop in a bus and just go, go straight for it. Mm -hmm. And that sounds kind of fucked up, but you know, it's like, I've done so much of that stuff already. Like I just, 
I just want to hop in a bus and just play shows. Like, Dude, I don't, <laughs> I don't blame you, man. You know, it's yeah, it's like it's what you what you've worked for all these years. You know that where it's like, all right, you're allowed to say that. It'd be one thing if you were 19 and you're like, well, right, I just want to get in a bus. And it's like, well, you better get in a van first. <laughs> right, you right, better get exactly. in your cars first and drive around the country. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. And I have so many friends who have their own bands who who do, you know, van tours. And I have so much respect for them because um, they're playing really incredible music and they're doing it on their own and they're doing it on their own terms. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so I really, my heart goes out to those people because it's a lot of fucking work. It is, man. Uh, um, I mean, we've both been there. It's, it's, it's yeah. rough. Yeah, so... But um, I feel like I feel like in a lot of ways I'll you know I'll be I'll be uh, thirty in a little bit over a month. But I feel like I'm like thirty going on sixty, right. just like an old crotchety Jewish man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so anyway, so you know, uh, that was one of the things that I was really stoked on with this band is is, is the reaction that, that there's been, you know, just based on who's in the band and the you know no one's heard anything yet. And I think people have uh, these notions and preconceptions that because you know i did the volta thing and greg from dillinger and Troy from mastodon like it's going to be this crazy techie proggy shit and it's really not at all it's i mean there are parts like that sure right. but i mean it's really all about songs and, and we all did this as a labor of love and we all pushed each other and and we all just wanted to write good songs and, and make good music. And, and it was really just, we were kind of just like, like, I don't know. We would just, uh, how do I say it? Like, like when I tracked the drums for the record, I didn't, I, there weren't any vocals yet. I mean, there were in their heads, but I didn't know what they were going to be. Right. Which is really, which is really difficult because I form a lot of my parts around what the vocals are doing, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> it was like a constant process of like, Oh, all right. Well, it's going to sound like that. Like, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like we didn't really know what it, what the end product was going to be. So, you know, with that being said, you know, the way it turned out, we're all like pretty stoked on it. Awesome. Awesome. I'm looking yeah. forward to hearing it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to letting it out in the world. So when's that record going to be out? Do you know yet? Or uh, I'm not sure. Some, no. You know, we're figuring that out right now. Um, you know, sometime this year. Nice. We'll yeah. make sure to, uh, to keep an eye out for it. Killer be killed. And uh, yeah, yeah. When it comes out, man, you know, you're definitely more than welcome to come back on the show. We'll, we'll talk about it and play some of the tunes. Yeah, for sure. That'd be great. Cool. Well, Dave, thank you so much for doing this, man. I really, I really appreciate you taking the time to to chat with us, and uh, you know, it was it was great getting getting inside your head a little bit to uh, to hear where you're coming from. So that was awesome. Thanks. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, dude. We'll have to do it again soon. For sure. Cool. And I'll uh, I'll, I'll definitely be in touch. Okay, man. Later. Thanks, man. See ya. Boom, Davey Litch. The Mars Volta for Miley Cyrus and beyond. And if you'd like to go to Dave's website, you can just go to DaveElitch.com and thank him for thank him for being a friend. <laughs> thank him for uh, for doing the show. And that was a little Golden Girls reference if if you got it or not. Anyway, uh, yeah, if you go to DaveElitch.com, you can check out all his information, and you can also find him on Facebook. Uh, facebook.com forward slash Dave Elich. 
Also, all of the show notes are at drummersresource.com forward slash session 22. So I have all the information on his new band, Killer Be Killed, and all of his Facebook and website and a bunch of different resources for Dave and getting in touch with Dave. So check that out, drummersresource.com forward slash session 22. Visit us at drummersresource.com or facebook.com forward slash drummersresource. And if you're digging the podcast, please share it with your friends. We really, really do appreciate it. And let us know what you want to hear on the podcast, what you like, what you don't like. If you hate my Golden Girls jokes or, or anything that you want to share with me, just send it on over. And you can email me or you know use the contact form on drummersresource.com or just send a message on Facebook. I get back to everybody. So any questions that you have, feel free to send them over. And until next time, keep drumming. I sincerely appreciate you listening. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.